0: Well, uh, as I said before, my name is Chris and we are we are so excited to have you along uh, with us tonight here at Beyond Church as we move into part three of a series that uh, we're doing called Normal Isn't Working. Uh, if you're new here with us at Beyond or you're just new to church in general, the way we like to do things is uh, we like to do series. So we'll, we'll pick an idea or a theme or, or a topic and we'll camp out on it uh, for a number of weeks and we'll, we'll tease it apart and, and we'll talk about different elements of it. And with this series Normal Isn't Working, we're we're unpacking this idea that maybe not our whole lives are not working, but there are definitely elements, there are definitely sections in our life that maybe we know what we're doing is considered normal and we pass it as normal, but we know it really isn't working. Whether that's in terms of our finances, whether that's in terms of our relationships, whether it's in terms of how we spend our time, a lot of the things that, that we consider normal, really, when we start to unpack them, aren't working and they're not healthy. So what we've been doing is we've been running uh, off a definition of normal that we want to uh, achieve. We want to create a new normal, a normal that actually works. And so the definition of normal that we've been running with that we believe will a- actually works uh, is this. It's a cadence of life, that can be sustained in order to operate at optimal efficiency. So a cadence of life, a speed of life that can be sustained. Not sustained just from nine till five and then you crash. Not sustained just from Monday to Friday and then you pass out for the weekend. Not sustained for you know a term if you're a teacher or forty eight weeks, you know, if you get four weeks of annual leave if you're in another workforce. Not sustained for a year or two years, but sustained for your life. And not so that you can just get by. We want you to be able to operate at optimal efficiency. This morning, I was in the city um, uh, running a a fun run. Um, It's 14K, so it wasn't really a fun run at all. Um, And and, uh, I went in with my brother because he's training for a half marathon and he convinced me to go in and and get on this run with him. So I was like, yeah, sure, that sounds easy. And then you actually start to do it. It's, It's a long way. But as we were lining up at the start line, now, I've never done one of these before. And uh, I noticed that there were a lot of people or there were a number of people with balloons attached to them. And on the balloons were like black Nico, there were numbers written on the balloon. And I, I had no idea, like I didn't know what was going on. And I turned to my brother, I was like, what are, what are those guys for? Like, what are they doing? He said, oh, they're the pace setters. So if you've been training for this race and you, you, know, you wanna hit like an hour or an hour and a half or an hour and 20, uh, there are people who the race puts out that will run a consistent pace So if you run the race around those people, you'll be able to hit the time that you're looking for. And I kind of thought, oh yeah, that that makes sense. Like you would just run at one constant pace the whole way, you know, if you you didn't have a a watch to be able to tell you what kind of times you were running that, that makes sense. But it was really interesting listening and then watching the people around you as they begin to uh, compete and begin to run the race. They kind of fell into one of three groups. Now, there was the group that knew what their average pace needed to be. They knew, like, on average, you know, we need to, we need to hit this this pace for, you know, this. Uh, when we're at the 7k mark, we need to be hitting around this pace. When we're at the 10k mark, we need to be around this pace. And so they, in their mind, they're not worried if their pace goes up a, a little bit or down a little bit, because they're trying to operate in that optimal efficiency. They're trying to go through the race at that speed that'll allow them to operate their optimal efficiency. But then you get the people who think that what I'll do is I'll start the race out really slow and then I'll catch up to the pace runner in front of me. So they run well within their limits for the first part, but then they just fly for the second part. And by the time they get over the line, they're just so exhausted. They're so, they've got no energy left because they're not operating at an optimal efficiency. And then the the third group, they're the kind of the funniest ones to watch is the, the people at the front who just go out at a million miles an hour. They go out and, and buy the sort of 4K mark, the 5K mark you see them walking. The ones who have got to the 7K or the 8K, they're sitting on the ground. And then you notice that as you go through every drink station, you know, the first time they sprint through, they don't get a drink. Then they'll grab a drink and throw it over themselves. And then towards the end of the race, they'll be stopping, having a look around, grabbing two or three drinks, like bending over, taking their time. And it's all because they're not operating at a cadence that is optimally efficient. They're pushing themselves into that red zone and expecting they'll be able to continue. And so with this series, we've been looking, last week we looked at the idea of time and how we can create a new normal, a normal that works in regards to time. And this week, we're going to look at your finances. And if you've never been to church before, uh, or maybe you have been to church, maybe one of the reasons you left church was because all churches talked about was money and how they want your money. And well, I want to let you know, I don't want your money. In fact, I want to help you with your money. Um, last week, if you are with us, the thing we said about time is that your time is limited, which, needs, which means you need to limit what you do with your time. Your time is limited, which means you need to limit what you do with your time. You can't borrow time, but you can borrow money. You can't borrow time, but you can borrow money. And so for some of us, we, because money in our heads is, is limitless, and we can get ourselves into debt and we can get a credit card and we can get a loan. We, we set up a normal that that really doesn't work in the long run. And the reason I think that that normal doesn't work in the long run with our finances is we confuse two ideas. Now, every day within our culture, we're told within marketing, within advertising, and, and if you're in marketing or advertising, I'm not, having a, I'm not having a go at you. We love you. You guys do awesome work. This is just a fact that we need to address is that, We confuse this concept of standard of living and quality of life. Because we are told every day that if we have more stuff, we will raise our standard of living. And if we raise our standard of living, we'll raise our quality of life. But you and I know deep down that there's a big difference between our standard of living and our quality of life. In fact, maybe some of you right now have tried to raise your standard of living, but and right now you have more stuff than you've ever had, you have more money than you ever ha- have had, but your relationships are more tense than they've ever been. It's like walking on eggshells because you're in debt and they owe money and, and you don't want to bring it up in the house because that always just leads to a fight, so you just kind of just try and tiptoe around it until the budget comes out or the pay comes in and you just It's a source of tension, despite the fact you have more stuff and more money than you have ever had. And one of the reasons that I think as a culture we struggle to, we know intuitively that there's a difference between these two concepts, but one of the reasons that we struggle to differentiate them is because you can raise your standard of living with debt, but you raise your standard of living with discipline. You can raise your standard of living by taking out a loan, by getting the credit card, by putting it on lay-by, by debt, but you raise your quality of life with discipline. And if we're honest, we live in a culture where we want stuff now. Everything, you know, everything is so accessible to us and we want it now. And we prefer debt over discipline. We prefer debt over discipline. And if there's a God that loves you and that cares about you, that knows your name, what do you think he's more concerned about? Do you think he's more concerned with your standard of living or do you think he's more concerned with your quality of life? And for some of you, maybe you have this idea of God, that God is is uh, better served because you're here and God is really here to serve your needs. And if that's your idea of God, well, That kind of God doesn't exist. That's the kind of God that you can fit in your back pocket. That's the kind of God that you create in your mind, a kind of God that lives to serve your needs. But if if we believe in the Christian God, if we believe that Jesus actually came to earth to give his life for us, to actually give himself as a sacrifice on the cross for us, what do you think he's more concerned with? Your quality of life, or your standard of living. And maybe if you're not a church person, that's hard for you to understand, oh, God loves me. So let me give you another example. Would you rather have a marriage that is awesome or a horrible marriage with cool cars? Some of you have probably tried, some of you may very well have tried the horrible marriage with the cool cars. You know, it doesn't work. You know, you've got all this stuff, but when the garage door comes up at night, you kind of cringe. You're like, oh, they're home again, you know? Because although you've got all this stuff, There's so much tension in that relationship and there's so much distance there. And so tonight what I wanna do is I wanna uh, give us an idea that we're gonna unpack uh, and we're gonna uh, tease it out uh, with the remaining sort of 15 minutes that we have left. But this is the idea. So creating a new normal financially may lower your standard of living, but it will raise your quality of life. If we wanna create a new normal financially that works, we may have to lower our standard of living but ultimately, it will raise our quality of life. And maybe me just saying that right now has caused you to be like, oh man, you're starting to think about all the times you've compromised a quality of life for a standard of living. Maybe you know you, you just took the loan out for that car that you really, really wanted and you had to have it. Your finances weren't set up, but right now you're thinking like, oh man, if I, if I, this is bringing back memories, if only I hadn't done that. If only I would uh, maybe not, maybe I'd been satisfied with my quality of life and stopped trying to raise my standard of living. Maybe for some of you, and this applies to guys and girls, um, maybe for some of you, you stand in front of a wardrobe that is completely full of clothes. You have racks and racks of shoes that you bought because you like them and you thought, if I have these clothes, I will raise my standard of living. And you stand in front of all this stuff that you bought and you say, I don't know what I'm going to wear. I bought all this stuff to raise my standard of living. It was going to make me happy. I don't know what to wear. And before we, before we kind of take the next step, before we um, <clears throat> begin to, to move in, I think it's important that if you're not a church person tonight, I understand for you that, that you're going to push back against some of this stuff. And I, I'm totally cool with you just taking this as a motivational financial speech. If you want to just edit out all the Jesus stuff, that is totally cool. I get that. But if you're a follower of Jesus here tonight, I want to be really direct with this message. And I want to let you know that this is a, you better listen up and pay attention message. Because unless you get this right, you cannot be a sincere follower of Jesus. Unless you get this right, unless you get the financial aspect of your life in check, you cannot be a sincere follower of Jesus. Now on that note, before we jump in, I wanna, I wanna talk about three things, three things that I, I know about you, I'm not psychic, they're just super common sense things. When I say these three things, you're gonna be like, oh duh, of course. This is, excuse me, this is the first thing I know about you. The first thing I know about you is that you are living on a percentage of your income. It's not revolutionary. You are living on a percentage of your income. There is money that comes into to your life or into your bank account, and then there is money that you spend. You are living on a percentage of your income. Chances are, I bet that you don't know what that percentage is. You are living on a percentage of your income and you don't know what that percentage is. You're going to live on a percentage of your income for your entire life. Isn't it better that you know what the percentage is or better yet you decide? what percentage that you're gonna live on and what that percentage is. Second thing, second thing that I I know is if you had a little bit more, you would be fine. If you had a little bit more money, it would would be okay. And, And if you had a little bit more money, then you'd be able to afford that stuff. There wouldn't be so much tension. There wouldn't be so much stress. I don't think that's true. I think if you knew and you decided what percentage of your income you were gonna live on, then you would have enough and you wouldn't be stretching yourself. Here's the third thing. You felt the same when you made a lot less. You felt the same when you made a lot less. In other words, that whole idea, if I had a little bit more, it'd just be okay. You felt the same way and you said the same thing when you earned a lot less. Chances are for those of you who who are in the workforce or those of you who have a part-time job, if I was to go back to the 15 or 16-year-old version of you, and tell you what kind of money you would be making in your life, you'd be like, wow, that's incredible. And then I would tell you, but get this, you're gonna be financially stressed. 15 or 16 year old version of you would look at me and laugh. There is no way I would be financially stressed if I was making that much money. And, and we laugh, but that's, that's kind of true, we giggle, but, but that's true, because this, this is something that we all wrestle with. We all wrestle with this tension because we all at some point have confused our standard of living with our quality of life. And if we're not careful, this is what can happen with our money. Over time, now, this is just as a general thing. Over time, through the course of your life, your income is going to gradually increase, hopefully. Now, it might not gradually increase by hundreds of thousands or, you know, millions of dollars. But, you know, $20, $30, maybe a couple of hundred dollars every year. The aim is that you want to gradually increase that. the the income. However, the problem is that, as, as we'll see now, as our income gradually increases, our spending gradually increases. And for some of us, the more and more money we make, the spending actually begins to overtake the income and we put ourselves into debt. And so our expenditure doesn't match our income. What, we want to, what I want to achieve tonight or what I want to get you to start to take the first steps towards thinking about is creating a graph that looks something like this. A graph where you have space. A graph where you've decided on a percentage of your income that you're going to, to live off and so you have breathing room between your income and your spending. You can create a new normal. A normal so that if you want to take that holiday you have the resources to take it. You know, if, if the car kind of malfunctions, you've got the space to be able to afford that. If there is someone in need in, in your connect group or someone that you need to take out for dinner or you need to take a coffee with uh, for a coffee because you're a follower of Jesus and you want to model what it's like to be Jesus to them, you're not stressed thinking about, I really want to do this, but I don't have any financial margin to be able to do this. So this is what we're going to tackle tonight. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus, before visa, before BPAY, before lay-by, before PayWave was invented, Jesus steps onto the pages of history and he addresses this very issue, this tension between uh, quality of life and standard of living. Now, if you're new to church... um, the word parable might sound like a really religious term uh, and it might sound like preacher talk or whatever, but, but a parable is a story. And Jesus used to, to teach a lot of the times in parables. And all a parable is, is, is an earthly story. So it's a story involving earthly people, but it has a spiritual meaning. So earthly story with a spiritual meaning. And in fact, if you're a follower of Jesus, chances are uh, one of your favorite stories of Jesus might involve a parable. You know, a parable of the, the lost coin, parable of the prodigal son parable of the lost sheep you know jesus taught in a lot of parables and to be honest a lot of them are really confusing but this one that he we're going to look at tonight is really simple it's straight down the line and jesus the story that jesus is uh the parable that jesus is teaching he teaches in front of a group of religious men so uh, he's in front of a crowd you know there there are some regular people there but they're mainly these religious guys they're mainly the pastors, the theologians of the day. And Jesus is telling them his story, this parable about a moneylender. So this moneylender comes in and we're not really told the exact details, but somehow he is siphoning money out of his boss's account. And his boss has got quite a sizeable, uh, well, quite a number of assets that this property, uh, this money lender, is looking over. And the boss finds out that the moneylender has been siphoning the uh, money and he's been taking a little bit of a cut for himself. And so the boss goes to the moneylender and he he pretty much tells him he's fired, but he says, before you go, I want one last financial report from you. And so then Jesus begins to explain the way that the the moneylender acted in order to get everything in order. So the money lender was shrewd, you know, he kind of got everything squared away, but he also made sure that he had a lot of friends so that he was able to go and get a new job easily. And then where we're going to pick the story up tonight uh, is is when Jesus begins to almost abruptly, or it seems like he abruptly changes the direction of the parable. It's almost like he starts a completely new parable. And so the religious people, the Pharisees, they were called, are sitting there and they think, oh, I mean, Jesus has started a, a new parable. And so this is where we're going to pick up where they think he started a new one, but it's going to come back to this money lender and this idea of finances. And if you're following along, uh, it's in Luke 16, verse 13. And this is what it says. It says, no one can serve two masters. So he set this up talking about money. And then he goes, no one can serve two masters. Either they will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. Uh, if you work... In an organization, maybe you've had an on-site manager and a regional manager, you know the tension with this because the on-site manager tells you to do one thing and then the regional manager or the district manager tells you to do one thing. And what the on-site manager tells you is different to what the, the regional officer tells you. And so you do what the on-site manager tells you and the regional guy gets hacked off and then you do what the regional guy tells you and the on-site guy is really, really annoyed. And so, so these, these Pharisees and, and these religious people are like, okay, Jesus, we cannot... Serve two masters. Okay, we get that. And then Jesus brings it right back around to the point of the money lender, the parable that he told of the money lender. And he says this, he says, you cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. And these, these, relig- these guys knew, you know, the scriptures, they knew their Bible and they would have been like, hang on, God. Jesus, don't you mean that we can't serve God and the devil? Jesus would have been like, no. You cannot serve both God and money. And for some of you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you love coming to church, you love singing the songs, you love going into the connect groups, you love reading your Bible and and you open up the pages of your Bible and you read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And then you read the way that Jesus tells you to handle your finances. You read the way that Jesus tells you to follow him in this area of your life and you say, I wish I could, but my credit card won't let me. I wish I could, but because of my loan repayments, I can't follow you this way. I wish I could, but because of all the debt that I'm in at the moment, I can't follow you in this way. And it's really hard to be a sincere follower of Jesus when Jesus asks you to give everything to him. And Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters and, and, then, and then you say, oh, I want to follow you, Jesus. I want to follow you, but I can't because of this issue over here. And this is exactly why Jesus brings this up. Because for us as followers of Jesus, this is a spiritual issue. This is a spiritual issue that hits right at the core of our need and our desire to want to control everything. Everything. And your heavenly father isn't putting these limits in place and he doesn't say these things to keep, you from, keep something from you. He says these things and he addresses these things to draw you away from the edge of your financial limits so that you can have some space, so that you can have some financial margin and so that you can create a new normal that actually works. And more than that is because if you're a follower of Jesus, if you believe that you are the church, God wants you to have a quality of life that reflects his life in you. God wants you to have a quality of life that reflects his life in you. And maybe, maybe for you it's just a struggle to think about, to unpack, to understand. Okay, so I know that this is what Jesus requires of me as a follower, but I'm not sure how to do it. I'm not sure, maybe maybe no one taught you about finances. Maybe you just kind of grew up in in your church or maybe they never talked about it. Or maybe even if you're not a follower of Jesus, just no one's really talked about finances. So what I wanted to do tonight is I wanted to give you five steps to help you begin to uh, only serve one master. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, then to just get your financial state in check. Now, I I am so aware that no one lives their life by steps. I get that. Uh, I also get that you guys are incredibly smart. So to be honest, the majority of you will probably only need step one. The majority of you will probably only need step one. But if you if this is new to you, if maybe you've never been challenged in this way, maybe uh, even if you're not a follower, you just never got your finances in order, here's these five steps. And use them as a framework that you can begin to create some space and to create a new normal that works. So the first one, the first uh, step that uh, that I want to give you is I wanna, uh, the first step is to decide. So for you and for most of us, it's just about a decision to make a change. Just like when you go to the gym or or you wanna get fit, for most people, it's uh, it's not that you need to know how to work out, it's not that you need to know how to eat healthy, you just need to decide to do it. You don't need to know where the gym is, there's a gym on every corner, you just need to decide to do it. You need to put the discipline in place to do it. Uh, I was talking to uh, someone in the medical industry during the week and they told me that when people who are at risk of heart disease, uh, whether that's because of a a genetic condition or whether it's because of their their weight issues or um, whatever it may be, that it takes on average four years from knowing that they're at risk of heart disease to deciding to do something about it. Four years. Most of you know or most of you who are, who are struggling financially, you know that your finances for you normal isn't working. All you need to do now is decide because you don't want to look back in five, 10, 15 years or when, you know, for those of you who are single, when you're married and think, oh man, I do not know how to own this area of my life. It, particularly if, if, uh, if you're young, if you can get hold of this early, it's just going to set you up for so much success later in life. All you need to do is decide. And for those of you who like steps, um, wait, here's, here's the, the next view. Uh, the next, number two is you just need to set a goal. Set a goal. What I mean by set a goal is pick a percentage of your income that you want to live on. Just pick a, pick a percentage of your income, whether that's 80%, 70%, 60%, 50%. I don't care what it is. Pick a percentage and make that your goal. Not that you're going to live by that percentage overnight, but a goal that you can begin to work towards. Second thing, once you've set a goal, point three, spy on your money for two months. Two months, spy on your money. Every single dollar you spend needs to be documented somewhere. Put it in an Excel spreadsheet. You can tell I'm really techno savvy. Uh, Buy an app. Uh, Just get some kind of software or something that you can, you know, if you have a ledger book, if you're old school, whatever you need to be able to track your finances. For two months, spy on every single expense that you have. And then step four is cut spending. Once you know where all your money is going, then cut the spending out. Cut the areas that you see after you've spied on your money for two months, where, where you're, where you're um, what, what are the areas in my life that I can cut in order to get me down living uh, within a percentage of my income that it will actually give me space, will actually give me breathing room. And if you struggle, maybe you're looking at it and you look at where you've spied on your money for two months and you're seeing all the areas and you think, oh, but I want Netflix so bad, you know, but I just, I just need this, you know, and here's a little phrase to help you. Here's just a little, uh, I know it's lame, but it it helps me sometimes when uh, I like to make rash purchases. So it helps me. And this is, this is the phrase I want is better than I owe. I want money on that jacket is better than I owe money on that jacket. I want to buy that car is better than I owe money on that car. You know, I want that PS4 or I want to lay by that present is better than I owe money on that. So once you've done that, cut spending. Step five is develop a debt retirement plan. Now, I don't know whether you've noticed this, but I am not a financial planner. Um, Most of my week is spent drinking coffee. Um, So I am not the person to give you all the strategies on how to develop a debt retirement plan. But if you are looking and you do want a way to begin to develop a debt retirement plan, I would suggest and I would recommend that you go and you grab a book called Dave Ramsey's, Dave Ramsey, R-A-M-S-E-Y, Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace Revisited, and go to chapter 8. Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace Revisited and go to chapter 8. And in that, he talks about a way that you can begin to construct a debt retirement plan so that you can eventually set yourself up so that you're living on a percentage of your income. And let's be honest, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is just, this is just good advice. You know, get your finances in order so that you're not like swimming in debt when you get older. This, this is just good advice. But tonight, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is this is a mandate. And in fact, this is why Jesus talks so much about money. It's not because Jesus wants your money, but it's because Jesus knows that the chief competitor for your heart, if you're a follower of Jesus, is not the devil, it's stuff. The chief competitor for your heart is not the devil, it's stuff. Because when we get money... We just keep, we raise our standard of living with more stuff. And sooner or later, we have so much stuff around us, but our quality of life is not there. And Jesus addresses this so much, not because he wants to take something from you, but he wants to set up a new normal, a normal that doesn't work. And because he knows that for followers of Jesus, this is a spiritual issue. And this is a spiritual issue that we need to get right. So if you're not a follower, this is just good advice. But if you are, like I said, you need to get this right. Because creating a new normal may lower your standard of living, but it will raise your quality of life. And I don't know about you, but, but I know that you don't want to look back in two years, three years, four years, five years time, and not have acted on this. This is, this is within your control. To, to decide, to set a goal, to spy on your money, to cut spending and retire debt. That is, that is within your control. And it's an area that we as, it, as the church have maybe neglected for a while because we don't want to bring it up, but we just want to help you. We want to help you. And so we normally have this thing at Beyond called For Monday, and the For Monday for this week is those five things that we spoke about. The For Monday for this week, because For Monday we believe there's no point coming to church. If it doesn't help you for Sunday, the full Monday is to decide to do something about it, to set a goal, to spine your money, to cut spending and to develop a debt retirement plan. Because creating a new normal financially may lower your standard of living, but ultimately it will raise your quality of life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's hard sometimes because... We, stuff competes for our heart and we get these two concepts blurred we believe that if we raise our standard of living that our quality of life will also be raised but we just know that's not true in our experience uh, we know that when we see it in other people we know that and so father i just pray tonight for uh, maybe for for people who are hearing this message for the first time or who people who are being challenged about this for the first time that you would help them to see that, that you don't set these, uh, this new normal up uh, in an effort to hold something back from them. Lord, but you set this new normal up as a way to raise their quality of life because you are intimately concerned with who they are. You know them by name and you care for them personally. And Lord, you are far more interested in our standard of living than our quality of life. And Lord, Jesus came into this earth and Jesus died on a cross to raise our quality of life ultimately when we step into a relationship with our heavenly Father. So Father, I pray for, for any, uh, if this is pressing on someone's heart tonight, Lord, I pray that they would decide to begin to take those first steps. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.